Good afternoon. This is Gaius Publius reporting from Netroots Nation. This is Five Questions with Gaius Publius. I have Representative Keith Ellison with me. Yep. Thank you, uh, Mr. Ellison, for joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. We have, as, as always, five questions. Three quest four questions are the same for all of my guests, and then a question tailored for you, Mr. Ellison. Um, let's start with climate. We are coming into... 2015 and a Paris conference near the end of 2015, which is the last chance that the IPCC and the UN thinks they're going to have a final treaty. All of the all of the talk running up to that is about the burnable carbon or climate budget. How much do we have? And in the scientific community, there are people who say there is none. Where do you stand on that? Do we have burnable carbon before it's too much? Do we have a carbon budget? Well, let me tell you, I have to admit that I, I don't know, but I trust the people that I talk to. And if you talk to people like Bill McKibben, who I have a lot of respect for, we're at the point where we absolutely must stop our emissions and begin to cut carbon and live more harmoniously with this planet. So, I mean, you may debate whether we have a carbon budget or not, but in my mind, as a policy person, the real point is we need to implement massive conservation. We need to convert our buildings. We need to uh, incentivize uh, transportation and energy sources that are not carbon emitting. That's what we have to do. I, I'll leave it to the academics and the people who do this every day all the time to figure out whether there's a, a carbon budget. But for somebody who, who's working on pragmatic solutions, we need to get busy on, on passing legislation that will begin to reduce our, our carbon footprint and go down. So that's, that's the best answer I got for you. We certainly know, all of us, that we need to reduce. Climate change is one of those things where there's actually a drop-dead deadline. That is, if we go too far, some small number of generations ahead of humans will be mainly hunter-gatherers. We're just going to be outside of a planet where there's civilization. And I think you understand that. Yeah, I certainly do, but you've asked me a, what I regard as a technical question. Correct. And I don't know the answer to that technical question. If you ask me how many marbles were in a jar, unless I counted them, I wouldn't know. But I'm talking to you as a, as a person whose job it is and whose passion it is to reduce our carbon footprint as fast as we can. Now, even if we are at a point where we have no more no more no more room. Thank you for going there, yes. Right. We still have to do all that we can. I mean, if, if we can at least delay the onset of this moment in which our, our, uh, future, and our future is hunter and gatherer, that's better. I mean, we can try to relieve the suffering and the burden that's going to be on this planet, even if we are at, you know, a, a, a zero moment. So, thank you. The second question, then, is agreeing that we have to do the most that we can. Right. How do we do that? How, in your mind, do we be as aggressive as possible? What are the things that we can do to, as you say, delay, if not um, eliminate the end point? Well, something we could do immediately is to deprive the fossil fuel companies of their subsidy. So, for example, myself and Bernie Sanders have a piece of legislation called the End Polluter Welfare Act. Uh, I hope you support it, uh, and I appreciate it. But the Impolluter Welfare Act has identified about $110 billion worth of subsidies to the coal, petroleum, natural gas industry, and uh, it takes them away. 
you know, right now we're subsidizing fossil fuels in more than a six to one ratio. We are solar and wind. And so this ratio is in the place that it's in because the older fossil fuel industry lobbyists uh, have been able to sink their claws into Congress and extract favors. Well, this has to end. Not only is it necessary for budgetary reasons, it's necessary for climactic reasons like you've already pointed out. That's just one thing. You know, in the Progressive Caucus budget, we have a tax on carbon. We, we, have, a, we have a carbon tax on our bill. Uh, which really, we believe, helps get a more accurate price of carbon. Because right now, the costs of carbon emissions are externalized, and the profits are internalized to a very few number of companies that are wildly profitable. And so that's another important action we can take. But I also think we ought to create an environment where we set up our, our public policy, and that means tax, trade, everything, public spending, fiscal spending. We ought to, we ought to try to do everything we can to grow food more locally, to have zero-waste programs all over our country so that we're not driving food long, long ways so people can eat it. We're growing it close to people's homes so we can reduce that way so that we don't use as much uh, energy to basically produce food and do things that we need to do. And I also think we ought to take more active measures on, on population because I think that's clearly a driver of this issue as well. I could list things all day, but I think that, you know, the ideas are there. What's missing is the political will to do these things and the political organization to do these things. And as, and as I'm ticking off a list, I think that stopping the Keystone Pipeline is a very important thing for us to do because that would basically put a spike right in the arm of those tarm stands, sands, which would get them out to the rest of the world and it would create an excess dependency on those sources of energy when we really should be trying to create other sources and develop other sources. That's an excellent list, and I like hearing you talk about ending the oil subsidy, Mm -hmm. the carbon subsidy, because that's a big chunk of change. And there's no reason to subsidize. There's no reason to subsidize the profitable profitable industries. Does ExxonMobil really need our money? Uh, well, they think they do because the CEO they like needs one more house in France. <laughs> right. You only have 57 of them. Yeah, really, really. And the last one was just, you know, way under budget. So, oh, yeah. gotta go. so let's look long term for a second. I don't know if you've given a lot of thought to this, but if, if you think about it, at some point, whatever that point is, we have to end carbon dioxide, carbon pollution entirely. Have you given any thought to how you completely kill the carbon emissions industry, that whole swell of industries. We have to stop that industry from making any money whatsoever. How, do you, how would you do that? How do we do that? Well, you know what? Uh, I appreciate the, the broad thinking, the in-game type thinking, and the, uh, the vision that you're calling on me to, to engage in. But I'm still studying the answer to that question. Where I'm at is eliminating the subsidies, promoting renewable energy sources, conserving what we have, and making it more efficient. But I will accept your challenge and start figuring out how to solve the problem, because uh, I think that's really where we should be. At some point it has to stop, obviously, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, it, we've got to, we, I mean, I, I, I like your question because it asks the ultimate question. How do we live harmoniously with this planet that I believe we've been blessed with? Because mm-hmm. we're not. So how do we do that? I think we've got to challenge ourselves to think that broadly. I don't, I don't have the answer for you right here today. 
no problem with that. We're all starting to think about this, so hopefully we can maybe just keep that conversation going. Um, well, let me tell you, the Senate, the Senate number is 1762. Uh, Senate 1762 is, 1762 is the end. Political um, Welfare Act. End Polluting Welfare the Act. House is the 3574 in Polluting Welfare Act. Excellent, and I promise to be writing about that more. Thank you, sir. And thank you for the numbers. It's always good to see those. Fourth question, let's turn to 2016 for a second. Yep. There's a climate reason to care about 2016. I personally think that's the last clear chance that any president will have to either pull back from the brink or watch his, watch his head toward it in a way that we can't pull back from. But yeah. there's other reasons also. Guy Saperstein has written about Hillary Clinton that he considers her well, he considers her a neoliberal in ways, the kind of policies that, the, that your caucus does not always support. You often support opposite policies. I find myself on your side, of course, but, which is why we're talking. Yeah. But let's stand back and look at it from an analytical standpoint. Yep. He also makes the argument that because Hillary Clinton is so identified with the policies of the Bill Clinton era and also the the current policies of the uh, Obama era, some of which have not been so favorable to progressives, that that will depress progressive vote and that nominating Hillary is actually a risky move for the Democratic Party because she's vulnerable, because people, will, a lot of people may stay home because they're just tired of seeing the same old, same old. Hope and change, yes we can, that turned into no we can't. And I wonder what your thoughts are from the standpoint of, I'm not going to ask you to take a stand on, on Mrs. Clinton, but your policy, your, your thought on whether that would be a safe choice for the Democratic Party, as opposed to someone more progressive, more in line with the polling. Well, you know, let me tell you, I, I believe that when politicians feel the heat, they tend to see the light. How do they feel the heat? Organizing. We will get the candidate we're looking for if we are in the streets and set forth an agenda which they then need to adopt. So Hillary Clinton, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, Martin O'Malley, Joe Biden, maybe others. I've uh, heard a lot of people who are interested in running. I think the thing to do is to organize, 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 set forth a clear agenda, and then let the candidates know that if you want to be president, you got to get with this working people's agenda. So by organize, you mean do what specifically? And I'm asking you to tell right. our listeners what that means. What it means, I would say specifically, is get involved with these wage fights around the country. Raise the pay of people who work at McDonald's. Get involved with these uh, adjunct professors. Or get involved in this climate, this climate struggle, you know, the struggle for the planet, the struggle for the soul of this world we're living in. Get involved and organize people, recruit people to be involved, share information, propose legislation on the local, state, county, and federal level, find ways to broadcast the message in every conceivable way, reach out to people who are on the right, in the middle, on the left, to young people, seniors, new Americans, blacks, whites, Asians, Latinos, seniors, kids, gays, straights, anybody, Reach out to people around this common, shared, quality of life issue, whatever it is for you, and be active. And this movement is converging and congealing as we speak. And when you do that, 
you create the energy. See, I don't believe that Barack Obama became the Democratic nominee by because he, because of his tremendous brilliance and talent. I believe that you had a movement marked by Howard Dean against the Iraq War, that you had an immigrant rights movement saying, si se puede, we change it to yes we can, that's a fact. And you had other movements that converged, and at that moment in history, a, a eloquent state senator from Illinois happened to be moving into the sea. And he was the most articulate spokesperson to the hopes, dreams, aspirations of the people who didn't want our country enmeshed in war in Iraq, who wanted to see a fair immigration system, who wanted to see fair pay, right? And because he was able to speak to the moment most effectively, he was picked to be the, the, the nominee. And I think that Hillary Clinton was the, considered the odds-on favorite then, but it was snatched from her because Obama was able to speak more directly to the aspirations of the people. I believe Obama is a product of organizing, not a creator of his own presidency or personage. And if you look at his personal history, he was an organizer. So the question for 2016 is, is Hillary going to get with the program or not? Already, there's a lot of people calling for others who are more attuned to the times that we're in. I believe Hillary Clinton can be uh, the Democratic nominee, may be able to be a great president, but it will not be based on pursuing uh, NAFTA-like trade agreements. It will not be by getting us enmeshed in wars that do not benefit the average American. And it will not be by being weak and centrist on issues of cli on climate change. It will be by charting a bold agenda that people can be excited about. That's what she has to do. Thank you. That, that was exactly what I was hoping to draw you out on. Well, that happens to be what I think about. <laughs> Excellent. The last question is about you. Mm. I know you're from Detroit. This is your hometown. Well, I'm actually from Minnesota, but I was born in Detroit and I was raised in Detroit. Excellent. And I know you're a Muslim. I think I know that. I am Muslim. a Muslim. Um, I have been to Egypt. I have enormous respect for the Muslim faith. As it was explained to me, it's a faith of practice, yeah. not a faith of orthodoxy. Right. And Christianity, frankly, I was raised a Catholic. Christianity scared me. Too. Christianity scares me because of the orthodoxy. I'm going to ask you, coming from where I'm coming from, with the respect that I have, what does being a Muslim mean to you? Well, one thing I can tell you about being a Muslim is that, you know, there are many ways to be inspired by the divine, but they all have to lead to serving the people. And that, and that includes Islam, that includes Catholicism, Christianity, Judaism, any of them. The real fight for religious people is, is your faith an identity group or is it a path to the divine? If it's an identity group, how are you different from the Crips or the Bloods? Right? My group, not your group. That's later for that. Spiritualism and spirituality in, in the time we're living in has to be connecting to the divine through service of people. That's what it has to be. And if it's not that, then it's a waste of everyone's time. Be it a Muslim, I'm inspired by passages that a lot of Christians would be inspired by. I mean, my brother's a Baptist minister. He was in the session today, 
And he's the one who taught me that passage in Luke where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for I've come to preach good news to the poor, to the, to the, to the prisoner, to the captive, and to the oppressed. Now, that's good stuff, man. I could find stuff in the Quran just like that. In fact, it, it says quite clearly, you know, one of my favorite passages is almost, almost identical to that. Righteousness is not in praying to the east or to the west, but in freeing the captives, in taking care of the widows and the orphans, in remaining calm in times of panic, in keeping your word. The same, it had the same flow. It's about righteousness, justice, and service. That's what it is all about. And so there are some amazing Catholic activists. Sister Simone Campbell, nuns on the bus. She is kicking in doors, man. I mean, this woman is, she's confronting Paul Ryan, who's Catholic, and says that austerity is what we need, plus a lot of social uh, conservatism, which really manifests in minding other people's business. She said, no, that's not my Catholicism. My Catholicism is about serving the poor, meeting the needs of the needy. It's about economic justice, about progressive taxation. See, we can't see, we can't concede to these conservative types what our faith represents. Sister Simone Campbell can't concede Catholicism and, fa- and, and, and Pope Francis can't concede Catholicism to, Father Ra- to, to Pope Ratzinger any more than I can concede Islam to Osama bin Laden. Martin Luther King, can't, he didn't concede what it meant to be a Protestant to uh, the likes of Jerry Falwell. We have got to extract our faith back from these people and talk about what it's really for. Because when we talk about it's really about, it's amazing, it's universal, and it's magnetic, it's charismatic, it's inspirational. So anyway, that's all I got to say about that. We are breaking news that Representative Keith Ellison is a Pope John the Twenty Third Muslim. <laughs> very, very ecumenical. All right, brother. Uh, Mr. Ellison, thank you very much. Anytime, uh, this, man. This is Gaius Publius saying farewell from Netroots Nation 2014. We've been talking with Representative Keith Ellison.